0: but they will be able to worship me in spirit and in truth. Why? Because he has now uh, made it possible, it says in the scriptures, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. You see, we can expect to meet with God. What a remarkable thing. There is this aspect of the Christian life where God is distant. And he is so distant that we cannot approach him. And yet through the work of Christ, we can draw near, the Bible says, and we can meet with him. And so we should expect something remarkable, something great. Moses had the opportunity to see the glory of God at one point. Do you remember the story? And I guess it was uh, Exodus chapter 33. He says, God, I want to see you. And God says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to show myself to you, but on two conditions. One, you've got to hide yourself in this rock and peek out from behind the rock. And as I pass by, you can see my backside. Now, obviously, God does not have a backside or a front side. He's using anthropomorphic language. He's speaking in human terms. And then if we read the rest of the story, what happens is that God does show himself his backside. To Moses, And what does Moses see? He sees the mercy and the grace and the glory and the abundance and the kindness of God. And he's revealed himself. And that's the backside of God. And yet we can meet with him. Isn't it remarkable? Uh, oftentimes we get what we expect, whether we like that or not. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, this last Christmas. Joanna made arrangements for herself and Nick and Hallie and me to go and see the Ginter, Bo- Ginter Botanical Gardens light show at Christmas. And uh, when she told me about it, I was like, oh, yeah, Nick and Hallie, that'd be great, let's go with them. But I was like, a light show, really? And uh, so the whole time that while I was there, uh, Nick and Hallie and Joanne are like, oh, this is great, look at all the, oh, that's beautiful, oh, it's red. And I was like, eh, a bunch of lights. And you know what? We got exactly out of it what we expected. They expect, expected to see this remarkable light show. And you know what they saw? A remarkable light show. I went expecting to see some lights. And you know what I saw? Some lights. But isn't that how it is sometimes in our time with God? We open the scriptures in the morning to spend our time in devotion with him. And we're like, uh, all right, I've read this chapter before. Here we go. We read and we get and we think. Well, that wasn't a very big deal. Why? Because we didn't expect to see the power and the glory of God. And yet if we go to the Scriptures, when we come to worship on Sunday morning, and we come into this room, and we hear from Pastor Nick, and we, well, if we expect to experience the glory and the abundance of God, what will we get? Well, very likely God will meet us where we are, and we will be able to see the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? And so we see the expecting of the psalmist here. But number three, there's praising that's involved in devotion. We see this in verses three through five. It says, Because of your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. The focus of these, past, or these verses here is that uh, we are to praise God for his goodness. And the psalmist here does that. We see this in reference to his loving kindness. It says in verse 3, because of your loving kindness. Now, I think some of your translations may say tender mercies or kindness or something like that. It's a very difficult word to translate. It's actually the Hebrew word chesed. Can you say that really, Chesed. Sorry, first row here. I mean, that's why there's no one in the first row, right? They knew I was going to talk about chesed. But it's a difficult word, but it's a beautiful word. And it's, it's, the meaning of it. it is much better than the way it sounds. It sounds like some German word, but it's, it's, a, it's a glorious word. And it's actually, it means the covenant faithfulness of God. It is the chesed of God that delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. He had mercy upon them. It is the chesed of God that delivers us out of our sin and gives us life. It is the loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness to us. And so what does he say? He says it's better than life itself. And so if you've got the hesed of God, of course we're going to praise him. And so he does. Thus I will bless you, it says in verse 4, while I live, I will lift up my hands in your name. And I know we're not, know Pres- we can't lift up our hands because we're Presbyterians. But that was a form, it was an expression of blessing. It was a form of praise in the Old Testament times. People would do that. In fact, one of the most popular of uh, ways in which they would introduce a prayer is they would say, Baruch Atah, I don't know, Melech Olam, which means, Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the Universe. And then they would go in, and they would raise their hands while they did it. And it was a form of communication with God as God shows his greatness and his glory and his mercy to us. We then express that by lifting up our hands and praising him and blessing him. And so that's what he does here. And then in verse five, he says, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Now, some of your translations might say something like fatness and abundance or uh, goodness. And, you know, th- the idea there is that it's the richest of foods. Now, in our culture today, we've got this idea of low-fat everything. Um, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but low-fat means no taste. <laughs> right? So they, they're talking about the goodness and stuff, the, the depth of the, of the riches and the fatness, the best part of all of the meat. And, and he's comparing that to what it's like to be in relationship with God. He says, you satisfied me with the fatness. You've satisfied me with the best of the best. And so why, what do I do with that? I praise God. And indeed, he has given us uh, the best. I, I think it's interesting that he does compare it here being satisfied with the abundance of food and being satisfied with the Lord and praising him. Because what do we do when we're satisfied with the great meal? Maybe we've gone out to eat with somebody and we've gone to this great restaurant. They cooked it just perfect and you know we praise the cook and we praise the meal oh, it's great right or maybe your has cooked you this phenomenal meal and you're oh this is great thanks honey right or you know, what i think about i think about thanksgiving right because thanksgiving is when we just bring out all the best right and during the whole meal what's the talk Oh, that, oh, those mashed potatoes there, they are so good. And that corn pudding, you know, if you put, mix the mashed potatoes and the corn pudding, then you've got this phenomenal thing. And, and that, that turkey, it's just cooked to perfection. It's just sweet. And and, it is, and don't even get me started about the dressing. Oh, and it's just, right? I mean, and for the rest of the day, we're talking about until we eat the pumpkin pie. And then we start talking about the pumpkin pie and how great. Why? Right? Because it's natural for us to praise that which is satisfying, which is desirable, and that which is good. And so it is natural for us who have been blessed in abundance by God to lift up our hands, to lift up our voices, to lift up our hearts, and to praise him for what he's done for our lives. Let's pray. Father God, you have given us so much. The abundance that we experience in this life is only a foreshadow of the abundance that we have promised for us in the life to come. And so, Father, we praise you. Help us to praise you more. In Jesus' name. And then fourth, we see uh, another word of devotion, and that is meditating. We see this in verse 6. He says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Here, the focus is that God is worthy of our meditation and to think upon him. And to meditate upon him. Now when I word the, word, use the word meditating in our culture, it can sometimes bring up a, a wrong understanding. Because in our culture, we've been uh, kind of Taken in the idea of the Eastern religions meditating. Where you are to remove your mind of all thoughts. That's exactly the opposite of what the Bible talks about when it talks about meditating. When the Bible talks about meditating, it is a word that carries the idea of filling our mind with the things of God. And so what is the psalmist doing here? It says that he he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's probably worried about his enemies or he's worried about what he's going to eat or drink or whatever it is out in the wilderness. And rather than worrying, what does he do? He fills his mind with God. He meditates upon him and remembers him in his good works. And so he remembers and meditates. The biblical word for meditating here is a A beautiful word, it's full of all kinds of imagery. And uh, there are three pictures, word pictures, I think are just great in understanding what meditating is like in the New Testament and the Old Testament in this word. And uh, one is that it is what a cat does to its prey. Now, in contrast to a dog, a dog, when it goes after its prey, what is it all about? It's all about the chase and the kill, right? And so, you know, you'll see a dog go out and just... And it doesn't matter whether he gets it or it It's all about the chase. But a cat, when it sees its prey, what does it do? First of all, it crouches way down in the grass, right? It watches it. Seeing what it does, and it wags its tail, right? And then it pounces on it. And then when he gets it, he doesn't just devour it like a dog does. What does he do? He plays with it. Lets it go, and then he pounces on it again. Let's it go, pounces on it again. Right? He's, he's meditating on it. That's the idea, and it's used in extra-biblical literature for what a cat does to its prey. But then another, another term or another way of understanding the illustration that it's given is that it's, it's, it's talking to ourselves. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on how many of us talk to ourselves. I think we all do. Uh, there was a book I read years ago, and I'm not sanctioning the book because so I can't remember exactly what it was about, but it's called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. <laughs> Isn't that a great title? <laughs> Because we all talk to ourselves. It's a matter of what do we say when we talk to ourselves. And the, the picture here is that we are constantly putting into our mind certain things. And what are we filling our mind with? Are we filling our mind with thoughts of God? That's what it means to meditate. And then the third picture is even, is the best one. And that is to toss about in our head. How many of y'all toss about in your head thoughts? And it's like there's different parts of our head and we keep tossing it back and forth. And what happens often is that we toss about in our head, worry about our children, worry about our finances, worry about our job, worry about our relationships. And instead, what does the psalmist encourage us to do? He encourages us to toss about in our head God and his works. And so how do we do that? The scriptures. Now, we have a a blessing and a curse when it comes to the scriptures. And technology. We have at our hands and at our fingertips within two clicks and 15 seconds whatever verse we want. Just yesterday, Joanna called me and says, I'm looking for this verse. I do know right offhand, and we I kind of halfly quoted it and she looked it up. 15 seconds like that, and she had the verse. Now that's a beautiful thing. But you know what the disadvantage of it is? We never hide it in our heart. I came up with this saying. If you quote it, it's fine. Just quote me. No, I'm just (laughs) It's so available, it has become unavailable. You know what I mean by that? It's so accessible that we can reach in 15 seconds with two clicks that is never really available here. And how do we get it available here? Meditating on the scriptures. Listen to what it says in... Psalm 119, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. And then Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. You see, that's how we, we, we meditate. We scripture, read it and study it oftentimes we're in such a rush to get through our morning devotions and i'm guilty of this we we have our set allotted amount of reading that we're supposed to do based upon our reading plan and if you're like me you're a type a person who's got to cross it off right so if you've got 30 minutes guess how fast you're reading that section of scripture you're zooming right on through it right how much better would it be to take a verse And just meditate upon that verse. To hide it in your heart. So that throughout the day you can have it there. Toss it about in your head. That's what it means to meditate on the scriptures. And so that's what the psalmist is doing here. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would help us. Help us not to get so caught up in the hustle and the bustle life and the worries and the cares of this life that we fail to meditate upon your word. Instead, Father, grant to us a desire and an ability to so set it upon our hearts, to meditate upon it, that it might be readily available to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then in verse 7, we see the word rejoicing. Rejoicing. It says, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Now the idea behind this verse is obviously the help of the Lord in the midst of trial or tribulation or difficulty or or trouble. Uh, As a baby finds protection and help under the wings of his mother, so too we are to find help and safety in the protection of God. And what a cause of rejoicing. I think sometimes we're in such a safe environment, we don't realize how much danger we're really in. And so we see this picture of a, a little baby chick, coming under the the wings of a mother. Now, if any of you have raised little chicks, you know how vulnerable they are. There's the exposure to rain that will kill them. Exposure to heat. You go and put a little heat lamp in the brooder, and they all huddle up there. Sometimes they huddle up so much that it actually kills them. But then if they go too far from the heat lamp and they get cold, that will kill them. But if you let them out of the brooder box, then a hawk comes and gets them. And sometimes a snake will creep in through the brooder box and get them, and then you put them in the chicken pen, and a possum climbs in and gets them. I mean, there's danger everywhere, and that's the picture that is expressed here. We often don't experience that kind of danger just because we, we live in a world where we're protected. I, I, you know, as much as I like to criticize Cumberland County and the place we live, did you know that the crime rate was almost nil last year in Cumberland? That's pretty incredible. We we get used to something like that. Matthew or Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 says, But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall fed calves. Of course, fatness in biblical times that was a great thing. Today we're looking at ah, I don't want to get fat like a stall fed calf. Well, it's, it's the protection that's allowed there that allows them to do that. They're not having to constantly run and find food. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Sometimes we are in danger. And where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. And that's worthy of rejoicing. Sometimes we live in safety. And what is it that allows us to live in safety? It is the blessings of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And so, we rejoice. We rejoice when we are in danger because we know that He is our help. And we rejoice when we are in peace and safety because we know that it is by His goodness and grace that we are in such a state. And so, we rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we can rejoice in you because we are safe. We have help from you. You deliver us from destruction and trouble. And even in the midst of trouble and Destruction, you provide safety. And so, Father, we rejoice. Help us to rejoice evermore in Jesus' name. And then in verse 8, we see the devotional word following. Following. This is the sixth one that we're looking at. Uh, We are going to make it through all seven. (laughs) Uh, Following in verse 8. It says, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. The right hand, of course, is, again, anthropomorphic God doesn't have a right hand. He's not a being like we are that has a body or a form or something like that. It is expression to say the right hand is the closest hand. It was the hand that was uh, second in command. You were at the right hand. By the way, that's where lieutenant comes in. They were on the left hand. They were not in control. It was the captains that were on the right hand. Right. So, But anyway, the idea is that uh, it is the strong hand of the Lord that is, uh, containing us, and so we are following after him because we are so close to him, and really, the word here uh, should not be following after close it should be clinging, but clinging is a lot harder to say from the pulpit, and so i 'm saying following, and that 's the word that we have here, but the idea it 's actually the same word we have in uh, Genesis chapter two, where it says that a father or that a, a uh, husband should leave his father and mother and cleave. To his wife, same word. We are to cleave to the Lord. Cling to him. Follow close after him. Uh, I will often uh, walk my dog down. Some of you have been to my place. The field down the way. And uh, we've got a little creek down there. And I'll walk him down there. And we hunt back there and stuff like that. And so sometimes I'll go through the woods. And my dog is really good at following after me. Until there's something to chase. <laughs> and then he doesn't follow after me so much. He follows after whatever it is he's going to chase. So, deer or rabbits or whatever, he'll go after it. But there is something in the woods down there that clings to me like no one's business. And I hate it. I don't even know what it is. It's some kind of thing. I think I looked up what it was. And uh, it was um, uh, common burdock or Actium minus, I think it is. But it has, this, it has these like fish hook seeds in the spring. And some of you probably have experienced this when you walk through the woods. And you'll come back, and your pant leg will just be covered with these seeds. And you can't just go like this and brush them off. They're actually clinging to you. And you have to take them off one by one and pull them off. That's what it means to cling. And that's the way in which we are to cling to the Lord. I'm not supposed to follow after him like my dog follows after me. And something shinier comes, ooh, they're off. Nope. And no, we're supposed to cling to the Lord. And so uh, the psalmist does that here. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says it this way I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. There's that uh, that song that we sometimes sing, I don't remember the name of it now, but prone to wander. we're like that sometimes i I, I picture a rubber band you know a rubber band is around something and you can pull that rubber band back and then it has to eventually come back or it snaps right and unfortunately that's often the way that we are we're like that rubber band god brings us back but instead what are we supposed to be like super glue (laughs) we're supposed to be so bonded to christ so abiding in Him that there is no separation, there is no prone to wander, there is no shiny object out there that we pursue after more than we pursue after God. We're supposed to follow after Him closely. Let's pray. Father God, help us to be followers of You. Help us to so cling to You that there would be nothing that divides us or separates us or makes us wander, but that we might be able to... uh, so be attached to you and abide in you that we might bear much fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And then finally, we see in verses 9 through 11, trusting, trusting. In verse 9, it says, But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Now the focus of these verses is trusting God to execute perfect justice. It is the impeccatory part of the psalm. Say that a bunch of times. Impeccatory part. Impeccatory psalms are basically the psalms where the psalmist cries out for God to bring about his judgment. Because he realizes that in the current environment... There is no justice. And David is probably at this point out in the wilderness fleeing because of some injustice that's taking place on his life. And so uh, he is crying out to God to bring about his justice. There's lots of impeccatory psalms. Uh, Psalm 69, for example, just a few over if you want to read that. That's where the psalmist cries out in desperation for God to bring about his justice. And so we see that here. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There's a saying that is uh, rampant in our culture today. I've heard it a, a bazillion times, and that is, trust the experts. Well, what do you do when one expert contradicts another expert? <laughs> you see, the human experts... Can't always be trusted, but there is an expert that can be trusted, always, because he is perfect and just always, and every time he makes no mistakes. There's a uh, poem that I came. You know how every sermon is supposed to have a poem, right? Well, so I've got a poem for you. Uh, this is a, a, a Christian poem by Lenora McWhorter, and it's entitled "No Mistakes." When my hopes fade and my dreams die, and I find no answer by asking why, I just keep on trusting and hang on to my faith. Because God is just. He never makes mistakes. Should the storms come and the trials I must face, when I find no solution, I rest in God's grace. When life seems unfair and more than I can take, I look to the Father He never makes mistakes. God sees our struggles and every bend in the road, but no mistake is ever made because he weighs every load. You see, we can trust God because he is the perfect judge, and he will bring about perfect justice. Even in this life, when we look around and we see uh, people calling what is good evil and people calling good evil, and we think to ourselves, where is the justice? There is justice, and God will bring about perfect justice, and so we can trust him. When things seem out of control, he is in control. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can trust you. No matter what our circumstances, no matter what the evils about us, no matter what the trials or troubles that come our way, no matter how much our society might call something good that's evil and evil that's good, we can trust you. Because you don't make mistakes, and you're perfect, and you're just in all your ways. And so help us to do that. Help us to trust you with all that we have and all that we are, in Jesus' name. So what does real devotion look like? What does spiritual devotion look like? It means seeking after God eagerly. It means expecting to see the glory and the power of God when we meet with him. It means praising him for his loving kindness, his his covenant mercies with us. It means meditating on his revelation to us. It means rejoicing in his care for us. It means following close after him or clinging to him. It means trusting in his justice. And I pray that that would characterize us as his creatures and as his people. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we pray that we might be characterized by these qualities as you work out your devotion in us. Sanctify us. Make us into what you want us to be. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Our uh, closing, or let's see, we don't want closing hymn. We've got a couple of hymns, don't we? Okay. Yeah, they're in the bulletin. Turn to your hymnal, number one seventy. Please stand if you're able. There is Lord Jesus.